invite you to turn to, uh, first of all, turn to Luke. You notice at the top of your sermon, the outline handout, there are two references, but go, go to Luke's, go to the doctor's gospel first as we consider uh, what I've entitled the fourth pillar. The fourth pillar. You know, I thought about uh, in my preaching, uh, I've been speaking for a lot of years, and God has given me assignment many, many weeks to study the Word, stay in the study, don't come out until God gives me a message. And that whole thing is an amazing process. I've got to tell you that. I mean, there are some groups of churches that they simply print the homiletical calendar for the year and a little homiletical thought, and this is this week, and therefore you just kind of read an electionary type of homily. And, uh, and uh, I'm, we're of the opinion that that, that really is not it. Uh, the, the key to a, a church, a vital church, is a growing pastor. I need your prayers. I need your prayers all week long. You know, Spurgeon said, uh, God blesses our church because uh, my people pray for me every day. And I need that. And as I meet with the Lord, Lord, how, what should I preach this week? And the Lord preaches to me all week long. And I wait upon him. And the days tick by. And uh, the Lord gives me his message week after week after week. It's like writing a term paper every week. Did you ever think about that? You're like, you go, oh, I remember those. You know, it's sort of like that. I'm telling you, I have a file on every sermon, and my files are now down in the basement. They've overflowed my study. And, uh, but God is teaching, and it's, it's certainly a blessed life, and it's a precious thing that God has allowed me the rare privilege of being in study of this word and on my knees. I can't tell you how many times I'm on knees during the week. And I'm like, Lord, help. <laughs> and then I pray for you. You're on my hearts. And uh, folks that aren't here are on my hearts as I pray for your needs. Well, as I thought about my calendar through years, I don't know that I ever preached one entire message on this, the fourth pillar of the church. I go, like, I, you know, I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, and I felt rebuked on it. You know, after we come to the resurrection, I mean, how do you, I mean, that's over the top, right? You know, he's not here, he's risen. Yahoo! All right? So then what do we do? And I sort of, you know, I taught through it. I had a class in seminary where I taught the book of Acts, and we lingered through the early part of chapter 1 in Acts, but I never had an entire sermon on it. Well, here it goes, right? In Luke's gospel, please look at that. And the latter verses, as, as Luke finishes his first volume, what's Luke's second volume? What is it? Book of Acts. That's right. And he closes out this uh, first volume, 24 verse 50. Then he, Jesus, led them as far as Bethany, a little village outside of Jerusalem, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them eulogized them, blessed them. He blessed them, again, again, the same thing. And he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Megakara, great joy, imagine that. And, we, and we're continually in the temple blessing God. Now flip over to Acts 1, as uh, Vicky read that for us this morning. That's the account that's more known. Uh, actually, only Luke and Mark are the only ones that mention, by way of their Gospels, the Ascension. Mark does just ever so slightly. John doesn't, uh, because his is the son of uh, his theme is uh, is God made flesh, and uh, and Matthew doesn't. Matthew ends sort of near there, giving the Great Commission, but uh, it's only Luke and his Gospel. And it carries over into Acts, the second volume. And then Mark will give the ascension. Now, that doesn't mean 
it needed to be done in everyone. Each had a little different purpose by God's Spirit. And, uh, of course, Peter mentions it. Luke, men, uh, Paul mentions it, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and so on. So it's taught. Uh, in Acts 1, we'll look at that as we go. Well, last, uh, last week, I don't know if you saw the news. Maybe you saw it and it didn't mean anything to you. Um, uh, I thought it might have meant something to Dave Maul. Dave, I, I know that something like this would catch your eye, that uh, the Saudis uh, would soon break ground and build the tallest building in the world. It's kind of like chutzpah, you know, like you build it there, we're going to build it higher, we're stronger, we're, we're, the, we're the real men, you know. Well, Nathan and I had the joy of uh, more than once being over at the Arab Tower, Khalif, Tower Khalif, um, barge is the Arabic word for tower, and in uh, uh, Khalif in, in Dubai, you've seen pictures of that, right? They, go up, they call it the rebuilding of Babylon over there out of the desert. That thing shoots up. It is, it's incredible. And we stood there looking. It wasn't quite done when we saw it, and we go like, that thing's in the clouds. Unbelievable. You know? And uh, it used to be called the Arab Tower, but remember in 2009, they were building so much over there, they were so extended that Dubai almost went belly up. Their sovereign funds were in deep trouble. So they had to make a call to one of the other Emiratis. They called over to Abu Dhabi. And uh, Khalif, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's all kinds of money, you know. And so he bailed out. His, his emirate bailed out his cousin uh, over in Dubai and uh, covered all their, uh, their debt exposure when the uh, world tanked back a few years ago. And he did it for this reason, right? One of the reasons was that, you know that big tower you got there? I'll do it if you put my name on it. That's why it's called Burj Khalif. That's, the na that's his name on the tallest building in the world. Well, not to be outdone, right? Now Saudi Arabia, the land of oil we consider, right? They've all, all of a sudden got, and they've been working on this plan for a number of years, but they announced last week, I think they're going to break ground in Jeddah, there on the Red Sea, and they're going to build the tallest building in the world. 200 floors. Uh, I mean, this building call is called for it to be one kilometer high. Uh, we don't use the metrics. Most of us don't. And everything. One kilometer, that's, that's, a, that's way up there. I don't know, two-thirds of a mile? Two-thirds of a mile up? It's hundreds of feet more than the Burj Khalif there in Dubai. Hundreds of feet. I think it was 500 feet in principle taller. And, the, and you can only imagine... The enormous foundation needed to support this huge structure. Mike, you know that. The most important structure in any building is the foundation. And so you don't even see it. You know, like you can throw a slab on anything, but, you know, a foolish man's house is built on the what? Sand, right? <laughs> well, I read a little bit about this, uh, this tower that they're planning to start building this week. And uh, the foundation, they're going to go down 200 feet. That's a long way down. What? They got to go to bedrock, 200 feet. And the concrete, they have to use special concrete because of the salt air and, and everything else there. They got to work with some mixtures so it doesn't, uh, uh, it doesn't crumble away. With salt is an incredible thing. I remember I said to Dr. Albright, I go like, well, you got stainless steel at the ocean. Isn't that okay? <gasps> he said that salt will even eat stainless steel. <laughs> Some of you have boats, and you know what that is. The salt will even eat that. Well, stay tuned. Babylon is rising from the sea. <laughs> How do you like to have the, uh, 
How'd you like to have the uh, penthouse on top? How many would be brave enough to ride the elevator up to the top? How many could care less? Right? Anyway, that's not my point. I'm, you're not here to hear about that. The foundation is all important. The foundation, there's the key word, right? Theologians, when speaking of Christ's redemptive work, they often describe it as resting on, upon four pillars. The, sa- the foundation of a saving work rests upon, and you can imagine what they are, right? The incarnation, the Word of God became flesh. God became something He never was. And we celebrate that, the arrival of the Lord at Christmas, right? The incarnation, that's pillar number one. Second one is His crucifixion. We celebrated that last week, Thursday or Friday. The Lord of glory was executed on Golgotha, and uh, there hung between heaven and earth, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22.1 is the redemptive plan of the ages that Christ, our second Adam, the life giver, should give his life as the Lamb of God. That's the crucifixion. The third is his resurrection. That's the third pillar. Uh, he is not here. He's risen. It's the sign of Jonah. He announced it, announced it, announced it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And finally, when he did arise, they arose from the. They weren't really sure. They were. They didn't believe. They were in disbelief. They were reluctant to believe. And finally, his ascension is the fourth pillar of this, which is called Christ's redemptive work, his saving work. Well, the ascension is a wonderful truth that all Christians confess. We do. I don't, I don't know Christians that would say, I know the Lord, I've been saved, I've walked him all these years, I, but I, you know, I, don't, I don't get that ascension thing. You know, like, uh, you know, like uh, three out of four, not, no. I don't know a believer who doesn't embrace the doctrine of the Scripture and the four pillars and say, yeah, he ascended. And it's a wonderful truth. The problem is most of us rarely think about it. We don't give a lot of thought to it. We go, mm, yeah, he went up. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. One man writes, uh, do we understand that even the joys of Easter Sunday, in his idea, idea uh, are, are, are surpassed by the glories of the ascension? Most would say, like, oh, you've got to be kidding. I never thought about it that way. You mean the glories and the joys of the ascending Lord exceed him coming out of the, uh, out of the tomb? Wow. And that Puritan's mind, yes. Well, to help us in this, two considerations of the glory of Jesus' ascension moving us. I mean, doctrine ought to always move us to action, to worship our glorious king. For he's not here, he's risen. But even more, the scripture says, he ascended and is seated at the right hand of God in all that that means. Well, the first consideration, we should note that the ascension was the proper ending of our Lord's earthly work. The ascension was Jesus' glorious elevation from earth to heaven. It was visible. It was bodily, a bodily departure from earth and a triumphant return to heaven. Now, we have to say that. I mean, you say, well, why are you stretching and straining here? It was visible. It was bodily. Because there have been unbelievers and scholars in the church that infiltrated the church, and they'll say, oh, yes, he, he arose spiritual. We believe in a spiritual resurrection and a spiritual ascendant. Uh, oh, you mean that his body actually lived? No, oh, no, no, no. Did his body like, oh, no, but the spirit of Jesus, right? you know, like, call nonsense by what? Any other name is still nonsense, right? Come on. We, and so we end up saying, oh, wait a minute. We say, yes, Jesus rose. Yes, he ascended. Bodily. It was his body. If you touched his body, your hand would have stopped right there. The one like, oh, it's not cast where the ghost went right through. No, his body was really there. He ate fish, right? 
You know, it wasn't even only just Friday. Give me a piece of fish, and, you know, when he ate with them, there's hope for us that we're going to eat in heaven and in glory, and I take joy in that. I don't mind that circle that in my Bible, you know. I, they're like, ooh, what is it, a ghost? No, a ghost doesn't. No, it doesn't eat. It, he ascended visibly, bodily, in, right into heaven, and he returned to heaven. It was like the victorious general returning home, victory. 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 I read, uh, uh, I remember seeing a, as a kid an old Life magazine. Some of you remember Life magazine? It, it was a shame, that pictorial that came out. And I love looking through that as a kid growing up. And they had that one where that Navy guy on Times Square where they announced that uh, uh, VE Day was a victory in, in Europe Day. VE Day used to mean something at home. My father went to military. VE Day, and he's, bent, he's got this sailor, has got this gal bent over, and he's laying one on her, right? And, uh, and the truth be told, I guess I just read that he died. He claimed he was that guy, and uh, many, many of you maybe saw that. And he didn't even know the girl. He just grabbed her and kissed her. How about that? He was so excited about the end. And then they would have the ticker tapes, and the generals would come home. And, and so we get a little taste of that in another day. And in this day, when a general returned home, it was a time to celebrate victory. The Roman generals, victory. They had to leave their, their, uh, their armies on the other side of the Rubicon, unless uh, Rome be afraid they're going to take over the city of Rome politically, but they would celebrate. They'd bring the captives along with them uh, of the defeat of Gaul or somewhere else. And it's the Lord Jesus as a general and even more so returning home at his his ascension. Well, the resurrection without an ascension would be unthinkable, for there needed to be a suitable exaltation of Christ. He had finished his humiliation, his humbling. He is no longer that humble servant, uh, no, no longer that, but in all his glory and reign. It's, it's really the reverse of the kenosis from Philippians 2, where God humbled himself uh, becoming a man and added to himself and even died and even died the death of it. And here's the other side of it, the exaltation. It's a, it's a, it, even in that is a glimpse of, uh, of our future. Ours is not a day of ruling and reigning today. Ours is a day of serving and giving. But there'll come a day where we will sit and rule and reign with him. Uh, that's not today, but that's in the days to come. And our Lord entered into that next phase of his ministry as returning, conquering general through his assumption. The, his extraordinary life, number two, should have been, should have an extraordinary ending. Would you agree with me? His life was extraordinary. There was nobody like him. I mean, maybe someone said of you in second grade when they did early testing, right? They, they said to your parent, he's an extraordinary person. He's, he's a protege. He's gifted. He's gifted. Now, if you're like most of us, they didn't say anything near that. It was quite, quite a bit, we'll pray for you. You need a lot of help with this one <laughs> The Lord Jesus was extraordinary in every single way. He, uh, he amazed the teachers and the doctors of the law when he was probably 12 years old, listening to them, uh, interacting with their questions there in the temple. Remember that when, when Mary and Joseph had left him behind? extraordinary life, his public ministry, the thronging of the crowds, the healing of the paralytic and the lepers and the raising of the dead and the opening of the eyes and his teaching. They were spellbound. They had never heard anything like it. It was extraordinary in every single way. 
And you would expect that from the Lord of glory, yet without sin, glory in his humiliation. And you would expect uh, an extraordinary life like that to have an extraordinary ending. And it was. I thought about uh, who are the two men that went to heaven without dying. Do you remember who they are in the scriptures? Who? Enoch and Elijah. Yeah, and if Enoch and Elijah ascended to heaven without dying, how much more should the Lord, our Lord, ascend to glory? And he did. He did. He went right to heaven. The spectacular, no more fitting, I have on your sheet, no more fitting climax could have been conceived for such a life as Christ indeed. The spectacular method of his departure from earth was entirely in agreement with the miraculous achievement of his life and work. It was in concert with all of that. It's not a stretch of the imagination that, that he should enter into glory just this way. Just that way. The ascension returned Jesus to the place he had before he became a man. I remember uh, being uh, with one of our study gangs over in the Holy Lands and being up on the Mount of Olives there at the highest point there. It's higher than the city of Jerusalem. When you, get, you go across the valley and you go up, you're, up there, you're actually higher. Some of you guys remember this. You look down upon the Temple Mount. You look down into the city. It's higher than that. And, uh, and there at the highest point of the Mount of Olives, there's a, a, a statue there commemorating the ascension, because the thought is, they don't know X marks the spot. Here's the spot, his feet, you know, they don't know, but it's the highest point of that mound. And so they're like, it's the highest point from there he went to glory. And, uh, and I remember that we took some time there with our students. And I, I, lay, I laid down, I, I just laid down on the ground and just looked up into the sky. And uh, with little wonder, you know, like, oh, why you of men of Galilee? Remember the angel said after the Lord, went, why do you stand there gazing up? That would have been me. A couple hours, you know, like, what? What was Then the clouds received them out of their sight. I think I would have wanted to linger there for a while. And they needed that chiding from the angels. Get, you know, get, get out, go. Get, 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 get going on with the mission. You know, and then they left rejoicing and worshiping and celebrating at that point. You know, you, you know the Bible tells us that's the very point where the Lord, when he returns, his feet will touch first. Anybody know where that's found? It's in the Bible. I know that. Anybody know, have an idea where that's in? This is a good group. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, 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 a minor prophet? Does that help? Zechariah, does that help? Yes. I'll let you look that up. And uh, that's extra credit, right? B, Jesus had appeared to his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. In, the, in Acts 1, as uh, Vicky read that, 40 days he appeared, but he wasn't continually with them. I mean, there are 10, during that 40 days, the Bible records, if we're counting them right, there are 10 different visitations of the Lord. Some were short. Think of the road to Emmaus, where he walked with them, then he sat down at Emmaus, had dinner with them, broke bread, prayed. They were kept supernaturally from recognizing him. And then as soon as they go, oh, as soon as he prayed, they knew it was the Lord of glory. They right, they could, that was one, that he left supernaturally left their presence, right? We have uh, in Galilee, at the end of Matthew, that's another one. Uh, we have them here in Acts chapter 1. Uh, and there are at the seashore, remember that? He was preparing breakfast. He had fished all night. And there he's making fish on the open fire. And uh, so these, you can read them and add them together uh, in the script. And there are 10 different 
uh, uh, appearance. Now, it may have been much more. Some were more durative, some were briefer. Uh, but uh, we get the sense during the 40 days uh, recorded, uh, there were 10 recorded in the Bible of his appearance. And the purpose in Acts 1 was that he would prove himself to be alive to them. I mean, it's one of the great apologetics of the Bible is when, when you, they'll say, well, they were hallucinating. When you hallucinate, you're wanting something. You're looking for something. They were like, no, I don't believe it. I'm from Missouri. I still don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. They had to be convinced that it was indeed the risen Lord and not a David Copperfield type of thing like, where's the smoke and mirrors? It's really me, he said. Put your hands in my hands and feel the, na the nail print. And in my side, it was really me. They had to be convinced against their sense that it was really him and he's really a alive. But this, was a, this was a time when uh, during these 40 days, now you see him, now you don't. You've heard that expression, right? It seemed to be like that. But that was going to come to a dramatic ending with his uh, ascension. He would vanish from them no more after his ascension. His post-resurrection appearance were designed to assure the disciples that he had conquered death and hell. See my hands, see my sight, in fact, and indeed that he was the promised Messiah. You know, there's a psychological thing that you must answer is uh, uh, in the life of the disciples. I mean, what can account for their, their dramatic change? You know, I mean, a change of perspective, a change of thought, a change of life, and that would lead many of them to never, ever, ever, ever doubt again the bodily resurrection and ascension of Jesus. When they were a cowardly group, scattering, fearful, timid, and now a few days later in Acts 2, the Spirit of God comes and Peter's preaching away. You killed the Lord of glory. And it would go on for a number of years. And as they would scatter, and then all of them, save John, would die as martyrs, never again doubting the bodily resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Never. Well, you, you've got to account for that psychological phenomenon. I mean, what would, what would so change a person to even die? Well, they saw the risen Lord and, and bear witness to it, and we hold their witness in our very hand in the Scriptures. He was indeed God's promised Messiah. Well, not only did he, he get, prove himself to be alive, but second, uh, according to Acts 1, he spoke about God's kingdom. He clarified for them the message. And they got it. They really got it. I mean, you see Peter, once the Spirit of God comes in chapter 2, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus. He got the right message. Even Peter. There's hope for all of us, right? There's hope for all of us if there's room for Peter. I mean, how about that? And he's preaching the kingdom of the gospel. And he clarified that message, and they got it and carried it to the world. Well, see, when the conquering king entered heaven, he was given his royal throne. There in glory. Keep your finger in Luke. Just, I don't know if you ever saw it. We don't often emphasize but look at Hebrews 12. Usually there's parts of, of Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 we emphasize. Uh, and when I was in college, I used to hear every third speaker come in and speak on this passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and here's the last part, and is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. He's seated. He ascended, and he received his throne in glory. Now, here's the thing about that, that when the king entered heaven, when he was given his royal throne, there in glory, and I have a quote here from one of the old writers, the dust of the earth, meaning our bodies, right? You know, ashes, the ashes, dust, the dust, right? The dust of the earth. Your bodies are, are, are made of dust. Now, I, I don't want to make you feel badly about that, but they, they are. Some of your dust looks a little better than others, but, you know, huh, it's all kind of de de declined for all of us after a certain age, an early age. Uh, but the dust of the earth now sits, according to Scripture, on the throne of heaven, for he is forever the God-man. Now, nothing more dignifies humanity than this. That is one of us, that is one from us, humanity is united in the person of Christ and is on the throne of the universe. I sat through uh, uh, really uh, classes of science and biology and all that uh, that were uh, taught by men, uh, I think particularly of a couple of them, that didn't know Christ and rejected Christ. And they would refer to, oh, you're nothing more than an animal. You're no different. You're a homo sapien. That's who we are in your phylata and all the rest of the classification. And there's, a, there's value in, in classifying. You can't really talk about anything until you can classify it. And biological nomenclature and all that's important to have a reasonable discussion about that. But the reality is we're not animals. We may share the same environment and have to have, as air-breathing and warm-blooded, share the same habitat in this world since we live on the terra firma not in the water we have lung system circulation system all this that god designed and and so on but man stands and woman and mankind stands un totally unique from the all the rest of the animal life organic inorganic organic human as special that's why I don't believe there's life anywhere else. Sometimes you'll see that in the paper. Sometimes I've been disappointed. Some, some uh, pretty well-known uh, pastors and otherwise have said, well, they may find a life on some other planet. I'm like, oh, oh, please. It's, it's human life from the earth that God made that is forever joined on the only throne in heaven that our Lord sits on. They're, he's not half Martian. There's none of that. You see, uh, in a world where it says, you're not special, you're nothing, you came from nothing. You know, wait a minute, God says, hold on here. The one who sits on the throne of the universe bears humanity. He's a, he, all his humanity came from Mary, and he rules forever, and he will always be the God, the man, the theanthropic person. He's always that. What dignity and what, boy, you, that ought to, Nothing else. I thought, hey, I'm part of that human race that's on the God's throne forever and ever. And God tells me in the only book he ever gets, Jesus. And I remind you how the Lord closed the Bible. I say this often in Revelation 22:16. He signs it at the very last of the Bible. He is forever the root and the offspring of David. Well, what does that mean? The root means he was the source. He created 
David. That's what that means. You know, you're going to plant here pretty soon. You're going to, maybe you already did. You put it down. You hope the root system grows and comes up. And there, ah, there's a tomato. Oh, I love tomatoes, right? It, it comes from a root, from the nutrients of the, is the source. He's the source, the creator of David, but also the offspring of David. That's amazing. That's how God, the Lord Jesus, signs the Bible and closes it. He is forever sitting on the throne as God man. Wow. Through the ascension of our Lord. It's amazing. Well, I say it was the proper ending of our Lord's earthly work. It's important. It's important to have a proper ending of anything. They do it in school with commencement. You know, the, they should do it at the end of a long tenure of service. A company will have a 40-year uh, service for some. We don't see it as much anymore because everyone is sort of afraid and they like independent agents, you know. It should be that way. I was reading in a place where the military, of all things, know how to bring things to a dramatic ending. Uh, the, you'll see it in the paper here with the Navy base. That the commander, after two years, they're having a big festival because he is done here. And he, oftentimes, that's the last hitch for him, and they go into retirement. And they have a big dinner, and they celebrate it well. They just don't go like, it's your last day, you know, here's the gate, and you know, out the back door. They go out right. And there's, 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 we ought to do that. Uh, when we have a funeral and celebrate a brother or sister who's now in glory, you know, there's a place Amidst their tears, there's celebration, and there ought to be a celebration of a life that's lived for Jesus. Susan, we enjoyed that, that part with Jim, and thinking about what God did through you guys, through him. And I think of others that we share that. There's a place for that. There's a place to, to end well, you, you know? And Jesus is ending at the ascension. It couldn't have been any better in my puny little mind of thinking. There he goes up. Wow. Wow. Well, the second consideration of the glory of the Lord's ascension, I want to move us to worship, is that the ascension has enormous implications for us who look for him. And I'm reminded, not everyone is looking for Jesus. Have you noticed that? They're not. They're busy, busy doing whatever here, but they're not looking up, and they're certainly not saying, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I can't wait. What you should be, that ought to be in, 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 in not too deep in your thoughts daily. Maybe today, Maranatha, maybe the Lord's coming. And I say to you, it has enormous implications for you if you're looking for him. Consider a few of the benefits that result from his going, you know, and answer the question, why didn't he just stay? Maybe you thought, why didn't he just hang out? You know, I could have stayed around here for a while. Maybe that would have been good. That could really whip things into shape. Why? Why did he go? Well, first, A, his going allowed us to receive the Holy Spirit, which is even better than having the Lord Jesus among us. Now, those are the Lord's words, and you can check that in John 16, 7. He, he says in the ESV, it's more advantageous to you if I go away. Because if I don't go, the Spirit won't come. Now, I don't know what's going on there, truly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But uh, there is something happening when the Lord says, it's better for you that I go because if I don't go, the Spirit's not coming, and the Father and I are sending the Spirit, the eternal generation of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's going to come, and that's going to be better for you by far. Wow, I don't need any more endorsement than that. When <laughs> my mother gave me vitamins, and she gave, used to give us 
castor oil. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that. This is good for you. I don't like it. They don't stop. I'm thankful they stopped that. Now. Wow. I don't even know if that was good, right? But Jesus, when he said, this is good for you, that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And if I don't go, he's not going to come. Well, we could say at least this. When the Lord was on earth in his physical body, uh, he was limited by that body to be in only one place. Now, he's omniscient. He knew all things. He knew others, and we see that from afar. But his body is only in one place. But now, God, the Spirit, is in each one of us. He indwells us. And, and, and we see that in the upper room dis, discourse in John 14, 15, and 16, where the Lord is getting the disciples ready, and he, and he begins to talk about the ministry of the Spirit of God. Some even call the New Testament, the church age, the full-blown ministry of the Holy Spirit like never before. There was uh, amazing changes. He was with you, but the Lord says he will be in you. He's referring to the indwelling of the Spirit of God in your life and in mine, which would be much better by far for us if we can understand the Lord in his dwelling of the Spirit of God. And I think that's what he means when he says, and lo, I am with you always. There's that relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, shrouded with great mystery, wonder, and awe. But how is the Lord with us if he's in heaven? He's with us because the Spirit of God. If you know Christ the Lord as Savior, the Spirit of God has taken up residence in you, and he is always with you in the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, sometimes called. And we might say that in that, God gives us himself. It's an amazing, most wonderful thing. It's beautiful, beyond description, the indwelling work of the Spirit. Well, that's a B, benefit. His going allowed him to prepare a place for us in heaven. John 14, 3, don't we love that? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, King Jim, right, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare what? A place for you. There's a place for If you know Jesus as your Savior, there's a place for you in glory. And when you slip out of this body and the angels take you into the presence of the Lord, there's a place with your name on it. Isn't that neat? Ever travel somewhere and you thought you did all the work and everything and all the arrangements and all the <laughs> and you walk into the Hampton Inn and you, you go, I'm, I'm Zabolski, I got a resurrection. And they look at me like, I don't know you. And I'm not sure I want to know you. you know? <laughs> we got a full house and your name's not on the register. Ah, oh, it's 11 o'clock at night. We're in deep trouble. Face looking at me, right? That's not heaven. There's a place with your name on it. And I, it being heaven, they, the uh, King James translation said, it's got to be palatial. It's got to be mansions, right? They were thinking of the mansions and the splendor and the wonder of heaven, the glory of that. There's a place with your name. And if Jesus hadn't gone, I don't know what it means, really. But he, he said, if I, know, I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, so he's got to go. He's going to prepare this place. And it's going to be just for me. And it's just for you that know and love the Lord Jesus. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait. We're talking about a great trip. There's one thing, go on a Holy Land trip. We're going to go on a, I'm going on a heaven trip. I'm going to wait to see the celestial city. And when I come in, some people I haven't known and talked to you a million years now, not quite, but it uh, seems like a long time ago. Hey, there's Zabolski. He's coming. Hey, that's the picture you know. That's the picture of Hebrews 12, you know, coming into arena. Hey, look, hey, you look better than ever, you know. 
I'm feeling some energy here, you know? And there's a place. I don't know if it's a condo. Sometimes they'll sell those condos down in Florida, right? Some of those towers in Miami, they build them and couldn't sell them. I'm telling you, I can't wait to see the condo in heaven. We began in a garden. We're going to end in a city. I don't know what all that means, but I'm ready to go. And so the benefit, if he allow, he's preparing a place. It's home. It's home. We're not home. We're, we're travelers and pilgrims and strangers and aliens, the scriptures, here on earth during this period of time. But then we will be home. Isn't home a great word? Isn't it? I mean, how many times did you see the Wizard of Oz when you were kids? And Dorothy, no place like home, no place like home, no place like home, right? Somewhere over the rainbow, some of you act like you didn't see it, okay? <laughs> that is home, that is home. And the angels, according to Luke 16, 22, remember that with Lazarus and the rich man? I was talking to my mother about this last night. She said, I was listening to Dave Jeremiah talk about the angels, the ministry of angels. I was sort of catching that a little bit. Dottie, I bet you caught it all week and last week. I know you listen to Dave Jeremiah. But she said, I didn't realize the angels actually carry you to heaven. And I said, yeah, that's the rich man Lazarus. Jesus said, and the angels took Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. He's in heaven in glory. She said, oh, that would be, that'd be, wow, that'd be so. I said, that's what the scriptures teach. Isn't that great? Well, to finally be home with the Lord. Well, see, another benefit. His going enabled the disciples to give a satisfactory account of his disappearance from, the, uh, his, uh, from his tomb. And the question, well, where is he now? Can you imagine that? You know, you, you must repent and receive Christ. You killed the Lord of glory. Well, where is he now? You know, like, well, during the transition time, well, uh, he may show up. I, I'm not sure. He's, we've seen him a bunch. He's not here now. But the, finally, they could say, no, he's in heaven. There's a finality to it. He's in glory. He's in glory right now. He's in heaven uh, and so on. Wow. Uh, D, his ascension is, maybe you never thought about it. His ascension was our ascension. He was the first, but only the first. Have you ever noticed? If there's someone who's first, there's a second. <laughs> you don't use the word first. So uh, his ascension is our ascension. I love that when I think about it. It is a promise that we too will follow in like manner. His, his ascension anticipates our glorification. And, and John writes of it. And when we see him, we shall be as he, for we'll see him as he is. Instantly, we're going to be changed. If he comes in our lifetime, metamorphosed right in front, we'll be as he. You're going to glow. You know that? A glow. You ever see a couple in love? They glow. She glows. Oh, she just emanates this light. She's in love. You know. You're going to glow. And there's some sense where the old Puritans thought that Adam and Eve had this kind of a creaturely a glory that, uh, that was theirs, and they lost that when they sinned. And that was part of the shame in covering up with clothing. Remember that? Because they lost it. And I think there may be something to that. But uh, you're, going to, you're, going to, you're going to shine. And you're going to have that beautiful, beautiful look. When we see him, we will be as he, we'll see him as he is. And then Paul writes in that great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and what is sown is perishable. That's what you are. You and I are perishable. What is sown put in the ground uh, is uh, perishing. It's, uh, it's crumbling, it's deteriorating. We're uh, in Adam's race and under sin and, and dying. and dying, we will die indeed. But what is raised 
is imperishable. Imperishable. You ever see that? Perishables go here, something else here. <laughs> We're going to be imperishable. I, don't know. I can't wait to see it. It's so wonderful. His ascension is our ascension. He's the first, but only the first. Wow. Wonderful. You know, the old cemeteries, uh, you, you don't hear about it too much anymore, but there was a good period of time in American history where uh, they would lay out cemeteries, and a lot of times they'd be around churches. You remember that? They would do that and so on. And then there were some societies that had them and all that. And you don't have to go back too many years because some of the cemeteries are pretty old. But the way they were laid out was so that when the casket was lowered, uh, the head, uh, and I always ask uh, the funeral director, uh, when you come out to the monument for the committal service, where's, which end is the head? Because you can't always tell. He'll always, say, he'll always help me because I stand at the head then if it's a burial with a, with a casket. Uh, they're, they're laid out so that, now imagine this, so that when the bodies rise, they're facing the east. I'm trying to remember which way east is here. It must be this way. They, they're, so they actually are faced up. It was so ingrained into the theology of death and resurrection in believers in the culture, especially when they're, that they, they're facing east when the Lord Jesus returned. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. I love that whole thought of that. Wow. Well, E, his ascension into heaven allowed him to become our high priest. A priest is the go-between, remember? He represents us before the Father, and he defends us before the Father as our advocate, and more, he prays for us. What a thought. Hebrews 4 teaches it so well as intercession. He's our advocate, our defense attorney. When we sin, John writes to them, 1 John 2, uh, and, and if we sin, in the senses, since we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our defense attorney. He's our defense attorney. And, it, and in that situation, as believers, he's talking when we sin, when Christ doesn't die again, but he represents, Father, I paid the price in full. He speaks up on our behalf. He speaks for me. I need that. It's a sad thing when you're having trouble, and don't we all have trouble from time to time, right? And you seem to be all alone, and nobody stands for you, and nobody defends you, and no one speaks up for you. And like, times are bad, but they can be worse, right? It can be worse. There's nobody there. Jesus always stands and speaks on my behalf. He defends me. Oh, isn't that great? Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, that's even more, almost more practical day to day than his resurrection to me. That he should defend me before the Father as having paid my bill in full. And more than that, that he makes intercession. He actually prays for me. And don't I need that? <laughs> wow. Wow. He can sympathize with my weaknesses, for in all ways he was tempted, yet without sin. He's amazing. In his regal glory, seated at the right hand of the Father after having ascended to heaven. Wow. Well, no. The cross, that, well, that's where the victory was won. That's right. Victory. To tell us die. It is finished. Victory. The romp. The resurrection. The victory is proclaimed. He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said. They proclaimed it then, right? 
And in the ascension, the victor returns, the conquering general, if you will. He parted from them and was carried into glory. Wow. Well, so what? What difference should this make in your life and mine? Well, first, this should cause you to praise and thank the Lord who has provided your salvation in Jesus. He did everything, everything that needed to be done. Don't try and mess up the masterpiece by adding your own sort of good works or anything else to it. Not even your faith. Say, so, well, I believe, so I get some credit. No, he gave you the faith to trust him. It's all of his from beginning to end. So I invite you to come and worship the glorious king who's now ascended in glory. Number two, marvel at the wonder of our Lord's ascension. Take the time to just think about it. He entered heaven before their very eyes. His nail-scarred hands were raised. He's pronouncing a, in Luke, he's pronouncing a benediction or a blessing. Incidentally, that's, uh, the church has practiced through the centuries that very thing uh, when they'll conclude a service. After the sermon, the pastor will pronounce a benediction. Benediction is to be well spoke of or a blessing. Eulogy is the word in the Greek. He would bless. And so, you know, the affirmation was a pastor should never send his, his congregants, his dear ones, out into the world for the next week without the blessing of Jesus. And that's where that comes from. You may wonder, well, what's a benediction? How does that work? Why don't we just, you know, leave? No, it's, it's a like matter, the blessing of the Lord, and it comes from that. And here he is blessing as he's rising. Do you notice there's no bitterness? You know, some people at the end of their life, they go very bittered, very bittered. I mean, if anyone had a reason to be even bittered, how about, how about the Lord? Everybody left him. Everybody. Uh, I don't, I don't have, he's not even cursing. I've heard people cursing as the curtain's coming down. None of that. Bad, wicked attitude. You know, angry at God, angry at the world, angry at everything. My grandfather, I'm told, went out that way, screaming and yelling at my father, blaming him. It's all your fault. My father had a hard time after that. Uh, and the pastor even came to visit the house. It was a big event when his father blamed him for all that, but not Jesus, right? Here he is. He's rising. <laughs> He's blessing them. Oh, it's an encouragement to, to just to be a blessing ourselves, right? I pray that. Faithy and I pray, Lord, make us a blessing to everyone we should meet. Not add to people's burden. There are enough burdens. Help us to be a burden carrier, a blesser, and not a curser. Oh, God, we pray for that. We do. Well, number three, praise God for the greatest gifts of all. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us. It's God within us. He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who regenerates your dead hearts and mine. The only reason we believe is he caused life. He caused us to be born again. He teaches us the Bible. He guides us in life. He comforts us. He's the paraclete. It's a Greek word, comforter. He comforts us in our troubles. We have them. He even prays for us with groanings and utterings that, that can't be heard. And, and Romans 8, the Spirit of God is praying for us. It's like when we're praying, Lord, uh, 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 I like this and I like that. And the Spirit of God goes, uh, check that. No, he doesn't need that. No, how about that? <laughs> he kind of corrects before the Father what we're praying and with, uh, with prayers and, uh, that uh, he knows that we need. Wow. Number four, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, his ascension provides a glimpse, a glimpse of your own. When he comes, the Lord will call 
and you will rise to meet him in the air, and so shall you ever be with the Lord. Home with the Lord. You're going to be home. We're not home yet. We're still on the back 40. <laughs> we're not home. We're not home. We're not home. Do you travel with your kids when they were yay high and you thought it was going to drive you insane? Are we home yet, Dad? Are we home yet, Dad? You just asked me 10 minutes ago. Are we home yet, Dad? I'm going to kill the kid. Are we home yet? Someday we're going to be home. We're going to be home. Number five and last, Jesus commands all people. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. I suggest that you trust. No, he commands all people everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. Is he calling you right now just as you are? Maybe you're here and you're not saved. I don't know. I'd be saved for you if I could. I can't. But maybe he's calling you to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus today. Will you come to him? If you do, you'll be saved. Well, the fourth pillar of Christ's redemptive work, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, yea, his ascension into glory. Wow. Praise the Lord. May that encourage you as you go forth into this world to serve the Lord this week. Oh, may he come. Shall we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Father, thank you so much for this uh, wonderful word from your scriptures. And Lord, may it be lodged deeply into our hearts. It's this beautiful picture of, of the ascension of your, your son as a, and the promise that you'll come in like manner. Oh, even so, come, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we might be busy serving you and planting the seed of the gospel. Raise up workers for your harvest field as we now enter the mission field. And may, may we be those that bless and point men and women and those around us to Jesus. And may they see Jesus in us, Lord, in our ways, our words, our attitude. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. Thank you that you pray for us. You're our advocate. And we worship you as Lord of glory on high. Dismiss us with your blessing and make us blessings to each other and to all that we should meet. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed. God bless.